Hi, I'm your host, Kimberly Thomas-Tigg, and you're listening to Signalize, a Dazzle for Rare podcast. Whether you're a patient, advocate, caregiver, or a clinician, Signalize is your source for good news, personal stories, events, and the things that rare and associated communities care about. Follow Signalize and Dazzle for Rare at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, R-A-R-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll post episode links, updates, and more. In today's episode of Signalize, a dazzle for a podcast, I'm taking us down a familiar path that is well-known, but perhaps less traveled, creating accessible content online. But before we get our proverbial hat and coat on, just a little housekeeping. As we've been evolving over the last six months, the podcast has been going through some format changes. Episodes like this one that feature news and other info will be edited by me. My podcast co-pilot Pete will continue supporting by producing the guest audio and really important episodes so that we get those right, giving you and your community the best quality audio for free. He's standing with us, ready to tackle the amazing guest content that we have in store for you. Also, I've asked for your feedback on our Dazzle Fur socials. Many of you want more written content as a companion to the podcast. This is definitely a task to tackle. Ours is a big tent and I want everyone to feel welcome here. So call me a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I want this big space of ours made by us and for us. That includes our families, friends, and the people who support us. I hope you'll support these efforts by subscribing, uh, sharing episodes that you like with your network of family and friends on social media, and engaging with our socials. If you like what I do, and uh, I hope you do, <laughs> please take a moment to share or like the content. But enough jibba-jabba for me. Let's jump in. All digital content is inherently accessible because of the advances in technology, right? That's why we pay developers, hire consultants, or buy software, isn't it? I hear you. It makes sense in 2023 that we tick a box and our web developer or software that we purchased makes content accessible. And heck, with AI, anything is possible. If you've thought this, I totally get it and I'm not judging you. But as long as we create for other humans, we'll still need to check that what we've produced is reaching the folks that we need to reach. Just as you can tell a contractor that you need accessible toilets and a ramp in your building, because that's a legal requirement in most places, it's important that we give our web developers, volunteers, or our software the same input specifically. But I understand we don't always know what we don't know. I'm in that same position, dear listener. I have to say, if it isn't top of mind or even on the list, then we can't do it. There's no shame, no shade, just honesty. And that honesty hurts. It hurts because we're human and most of us don't want to exclude anyone in or outside of our communities. And we definitely don't do it on purpose. I don't, and neither do you. I've learned a thing or two, but as a disclaimer, I am far from an expert in accessible content. But I have learned a few things that I want to share with you today. So picture this, if you will. Your website or content is the storefront for your awareness selling. I know it's kind of weird to think of it that way, but just roll with me for a minute here. If your customer can't get in the front door or doesn't have a good experience with your establishment, aka your website or your content, then guess what? You're not going to get a four-star Yelp review or a repeat visit. If you can't access a specialist's office because they don't have ramps or wide enough doorways for your mobility aid, then you can experience the digital version of this when a website is missing the alt attribute on their images or contains images that are mostly text or that have elements that block your screen reader so that you can't get past to the content. Just as every building doesn't have wheelchair access, not every website is accessible. 
In fact, according to AbilityNet, they concluded that 90% of internet sites are inaccessible to people with disabilities. Websites of nonprofits and condition groups are also part of the internet. Maybe some of us are part of the 10% who went the extra mile, but I'm guessing that we're just as likely to be part of the 90% than the 10%. AbilityNet CEO Nigel Lewis said, much of recruitment is now online. The problem is that inaccessible websites and online application systems remain a big barrier for disabled people looking for a job. Over 90% of websites, for example, don't meet a single A compliance with the WCAG, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, set by the World Wide Web Consortium, or the Dub3C. A quick aside, for those who don't know what the Dub3C is, or the World Wide Web Consortium, they were founded in 1994 by Tim Berners-Lee of MIT uh, with the help of DARPA and the European Commission. Links in the show notes. Uh, this organization is made up of academics, consortium members, and members of the public that define the guidelines that should be followed by folks who want to create websites and content using consistent cross-browser standards and other guidelines. And if you're an old nerd like me and you learned HTML in the 90s, you'll remember looking up tags and tag attributes like the alt tag on the Dub3 website or on CodeMonkey. So we've come a long way with the technologies and with browsers that now include accessibility tools and new ways of serving content. But I digress, folks. What you should know is that the internet has only gotten bigger and more complex since 1994. For every group that starts a nonprofit or patient advocacy group, there is a website that is trying its best to serve a community. You may not think that the community needs accessible tools, but how can you know that for sure? especially when they can't reach you in the first place to let you know they can't access the content. It would be unrealistic to believe that by the virtue of our condition, we have magical insight to what our audience needs. It would be silly to think that with a few digital tools, a basic understanding of disabilities and how diverse they can be, and poof, the problem is magically solved. The entire internet is fixed, job done. That magic solution doesn't exist. It takes being wrong, asking questions, doing more research after making a mistake, a discussion, inviting others to look at your work from their perspective, and being open to criticism that we can do better. What there is to know about content accessibility is only the tip of the iceberg. If Titanic taught us anything, it's that the tip of the iceberg is what threatens to sink your ship. If you haven't been affected by barriers to access, then you have no idea what it feels like. Even if you have experienced a barrier yourself to access or have been discriminated against, that isn't a universal experience that translates to every type of disability. You might be saying, well, what's the point? I can't cater to everyone. I'm doing enough. See, here again, I feel you. <laughs> I get it. I, the struggle is oh too real. I struggle too, and I know what some of the pain points are. In fact, I will help you solve some of them in a few minutes, but let's break down the word on the tip of your tongue that is just burning to get out, and that is the word cater. If by cater you mean to address everyone's wants or needs, that is not what this is about. Creating accessible content is about knowing that there are far more disabilities in the world than you have personally experienced. It's also about making content broad enough that with some awareness at hand, you can create things that are more within reach than they were before, even if they're not perfect or they don't fit everyone's use case. So who is this content for anyway? Well, we might think, okay, well, I imagine most people who visit my website have XYZ condition or are a caregiver, so we don't need to think about ABC disability. But how can you be sure? We're not just talking about sensory disabilities like vision impairment or hearing impairment. The folks who use uh, expensive compliant screen reading software or closed captioning tools. We're talking about learning disabilities, traumatic or acquired brain injuries, physical disabilities that might make accessing a computer or a smart device more difficult, and other unseen disabilities that can create barriers between our content 
content and our audience. And if y'all still think I'm full of it, I have four statistics for you to check out. According to Georgetown University, 8% of the U.S. population is visually impaired. According to the NIH, 15% of Americans have a hearing impairment. According to Learning Disabilities Online, 5 to 15% of Americans have dyslexia. According to the CDC, 1.5 million Americans will suffer a traumatic brain injury this year. In those four statistics, we didn't cover stroke, we didn't cover accidents or injuries, we didn't cover amputations or other types of sensory impairments or a lot of other factors. We are an intersectional group of people, meaning we aren't just rare or chronically ill, we're more than one thing. We intersect and overlap in many areas of our life. Because you believe you have a certain audience doesn't mean that if you ask, they wouldn't say that actually they also have a learning disability or they also have a physical injury that's changed how they read, hear, or learn. I've always believed that some things are good to have, but not always a need to have. But I recently realized that I've been wrong on that. I've worked with colleagues over the years with hearing impairments, and I've seen how they were treated and it was frankly shocking but being passive about creating with others in mind in a way is kind of the same sort of neglect or lack of care and it's certainly not something that I or you or are going out of our way to do because we do want to be inclusive. So yeah, you and I are human and we can't anticipate every situation to make everything accessible to everyone, but we can do some basic stuff. You might be asking now, wait, so if we can't do it all, what can we do? And if you're asking that, hey, I'm glad you asked. Here are five things you can do right now. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for my personal top tips on improving accessibility together. Keeping in mind, I am not an expert. I'm a user and a patient just like you. Tip number one, use descriptive headings and subheadings. Use clear and descriptive headings and subheadings to break up content into smaller sections. This actually makes it easier for people with cognitive disabilities or those who use assistive technologies like screen readers to navigate your content. This one is an age-old tip, but one that still I see quite often, especially if I do website audits, looking at people's alt tags, this is one people still miss. Provide alternative text for images. Guys, the alt tag was introduced in 1993. 1993, you all, for text browsers. Um, Regardless of the accessibility standpoint, in the beginning of the internet, most of websites were just text and added as a requirement for websites in 1999. That was a long time ago, y'all. When I did a website audit, as I just said, on some UK websites working with uh, diverse condition communities, I found that many of them had blank alt attributes and some of them had a lot of text or actually didn't have even remotely useful descriptions of the images for the alt tag. Tip number three, use captions and transcripts for videos. This is one I am actively struggling with you all, so please don't feel like I'm picking on anybody. Provide captions and transcripts for all videos on your website or social media platforms. This helps people with hearing impairments or those who cannot access audio content to understand your videos. Now, low key, I have been working on this. It's a difficult thing to tackle if you don't have people or you don't have money. And I don't have either. I have me and absolutely no money. So I've been using a few different free tools and it is still a struggle because you do still need eyeballs on your content to make it readable. But I think it's something that It's worth doing, but it is going to take extra time if you don't have people dedicated to this and you don't have money to pay for this. You can use AI tools to transcribe and they're also pretty rubbish, um, but you also have to pay for those. 
Number four, and this is one, again, I am guilty of this myself. Use plain language. Use clear and concise language when creating online content. Avoid jargon or complex terminology that may be difficult for people with cognitive disabilities to understand. And again, I am guilty. I like to use words. I and I am verbose and complex in my speech, and I am always trying to improve that. And I'm very aware that I need to improve that. So if you are sitting there thinking, oh my God, she's picking on everybody. I'm picking on myself as much as I am anyone. We're all oftentimes guilty of missing one or all of these things. Tip number five, making your website content accessible. Make sure your website is accessible by following accessibility guidelines such as the web content accessibility guidelines that we mentioned before, the WCAG. This includes providing keyboard shortcuts, making sure text is easy to read, and ensuring that content is easily navigatable. That's a hard word to say. Easily navigatable by assistive technology. you've made it this far. We get to my personal tips that I have used for years helping others to build and plan websites. In my prior life, I didn't necessarily think a lot about accessibility. Um, I thought more about cross-browser compatibility, but the tips here can apply to both really. You can check a few things to ensure your website is generally more friendly across browsers, devices, and for screen readers. Nothing I can say can possibly replace a panel of varied advocates from different walks of life and different disabilities or qualified and experienced disability auditor. Just getting this far, being willing to listen when I understand that a lot of people feel uncomfortable when they think they might not have spent the time doing this stuff or where they may have missed something um, that's uncomfortable. So some of these things I hope will help you and of course free for you to use. Now you get my personal tips, what I have been using over the years to help others plan and build websites. But the tips can apply to both really. You can check a few things to ensure your website is generally more friendly across browsers, devices, and for screen readers. Nothing that I can possibly say would replace a panel of varied advocates from different walks of life with different disabilities or a qualified and experienced disability website auditor. The first tool that I'm going to introduce you to is really simple and it's very accessible in terms of ease of use and cost is absolutely free and you can use it in Mozilla browsers like Chrome and Firefox or other Chrome-based browsers. You can use it in Microsoft Edge and I imagine there must be versions for Linux and other operating systems. This is called the Lighthouse extension. If you're using Google Chrome, there is a little ellipse icon in the upper on my screen, it's the upper right corner. If you click on that, you get uh, a menu with further options. In the middle, you'll see more tools. You will see the developer options. When you click developer options, it'll open a panel either to the right, left, or bottom of your screen. And there's another set of arrows that you can click to find the Lighthouse extension. You can look online and probably find a better <laughs> better way of finding this than I can explain verbally. However, clicking on that, it will do a quick audit across five categories. Those categories are website performance, so load times, image loading, etc. Accessibility, although the issue or the caveat here is that if you are not using the alt attribute in your image tags, then it may give you a higher score for accessibility than you may otherwise get. So just keep that in mind. See best practices, search engine optimization or SEO, and whether or not your website offers a PWA or progressive web app experience. But I'll tell you about that in just a second. 
This used to be much more difficult in the past, um, but either I've been out of touch with web development, which low-key the answer is yes, or maybe it's just improved a lot over time, but either way, it's a very simple way and a free way to have a quick look at your website. Now, I don't want to harp on the subject, but I want to go back to alt or alternative text attributes on your website image tags. You don't have to be a programmer to know that one, these exist, and two, if you give images to your web developer or whomever is uploading them to say your WordPress or other website, make sure that you write them a detailed description of the image. I try to describe what is in the background and around the main content of the image and then describe the main content itself. If the main content includes text, then I will type out in uh, quotes what the text is so that people know that that's what's being said in the image. If you find yourself thinking, oh, I don't want to type out two paragraphs of text that appears in my image, then don't put that much text in any image. I'm not saying that to be a pain, but honestly, if the text in your image is really important for people to read, then why would you nest it in an image that screen readers and other text-based browsers can't interact with? I would highly suggest that if the text is important enough that you would put it in the image and you would put a lot of it in an image, then it really should just be on your website uh, with a bit of simple text in your images. It also just makes everything look a lot cleaner and easier for people to read and interact with. Another thing that I have started doing over the last few years myself is using Chrome Vox, which is a, a screen reader that is included in Chrome. It's not brilliant, if I may say so, but it's something that sometimes helps me when I'm finding difficult to read through a page of text or difficult to digest what is being said in the text. I started to notice several years ago that I was having more difficulty with attention, reading, keeping my eyes focused, um, and just cognitive energy and things like that. So I actually rely a lot more on audio content than I ever did in the past. While this has been embarrassing for me because I used to enjoy binge reading books at times, I a lot has really failed in terms of my my relationship with language and speaking and reading. But that's me personally. That may not be you. And I can say one thing that you can do with Chromevox is just see how easy it is for someone to use that or another screen reader on your website. If you're finding that you have pop-ups on your website that are blocking the screen reader from being able to access text behind it, you might consider using those blocks or those pop-ups in a different way or using that content in a different way. Another thing to think about is, believe it or not, a lot of people don't own computers or don't own a laptop. I know a lot of people who only have a Kindle or only have a smartphone or an iPad, and the reason for this is because they may have been given these as gifts and not be able to afford a laptop, or they're just not really interested in interacting with computers, but they still want to browse the internet, so they use things like their smartphone or their tablet to read website content, read articles, and things like that. So if you're not broadly testing things like uh, iPad or iOS, or you're not broadly testing other types of uh, browsers or things that might display well on a smartphone, going back to PWAs or progressive web apps. If you're not trying some of these solutions, there's probably a fair and growing amount of people that will not be able to interact with your content. And finally, getting back to what I mentioned earlier was a progressive web app. A progressive web app is a type of web application that is designed to be fast and reliable and also engaging for users on any device and especially smartphones and tablets and things. PWAs use modern technologies that provide a native 
app-like experience to users without actually causing people to have to go to the app store or similar to download an app. I started looking at progressive web apps several years ago, probably about three or four years ago for Dazzle for Bear. And for a while, we did have a separate progressive web app on the website, which would allow people to go to that, scroll through a few steps on how to act, interact with uh, Dazzle for Bear. And it would even give you the option to add to home screen so that you could view the website offline. While PWAs may not exactly address a lot of accessibility issues, they are light, they perform well on mobile devices, and you can usually download WordPress plugins that will automatically generate the files for a PWA so that people can view your content offline. And a lot of websites that I recently audited to look at accessibility don't actually have a PWA, so I highly suggest trying that out. Here are a few more free tools to help you uh, conduct, you know, kind of a DIY audit on your site. WebAIM Wave is a popular web accessibility evaluation tool that checks web pages for accessibility issues. It's easy to use and can identify errors, alerts, and features that may impact accessibility. A-Checker is another popular tool for websites and accessibility checking. It checks web pages for WCAG 2.0 and Section 508 accessibility compliance, um, which you might not necessarily need to know what that means, but it will give you some reports on accessibility issues. It's also available as a browser extension. Axe is a browser extension that can help developers and testers ensure that pages are accessible to everyone. Color Contrast Analyzer is a simple, powerful tool to check the color contrast on your website and allows you to easily check the color contrast of text and background to ensure uh, visibility. I don't really have much experience with any of these myself, so certainly if you try them out on your own website, I would love to hear about it. And that's pretty much what I've got for you today on creating not only accessible websites, but also thinking about how you create your images and other content so that it's more accessible to folks in our communities. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Signalize, a Dazzle for Air podcast. To stay up to date on the podcast and Dazzle for Air, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, Rare, R-A-R-E. And finally, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media platforms. 